To catch us up, I think it's very important. I want to capture a little bit of history here uh, where Esther fits in the big picture. God makes a way in the big picture and the small details. Some of the small details in Esther we're going to talk about this morning, I want to kind of fill you in and remind you how it fits in the big picture. I'll go back to Abraham. God made the covenant with Abraham that through his seed, many nations, many people would be blessed. Um, Esther, we see that playing out and we'll get into that and how here in a little bit. But God says, I'm with you. There will be a remnant. As Brother Mark just said earlier, there will be a remnant. I'll be with you. I'll protect you. We see that in Esther. You move on to Jacob and Esau. Jacob, the chosen line, God's people. Esau, his brother. The enemy, the line of the enemy in many ways, right? And we're going to find that out in Esther, the line of Esau, how that plays out with Haman. Move on. And we obviously, we could have several examples in this, but we have a certain amount of time, so pick and choose your, pick and choose, right? So you can go on to King Saul. That has huge implications in Esther. King Saul spares King Agag um, like he wasn't supposed to do, but he did it. Haman, same line, Agag. And Amalekite, I always struggle with this word, Amalekite. Sometimes I want to say Amalekite, Amalekite. I'll say Amalekite this morning. But that's the line of Haman. And then you have David, you have Solomon, you have civil war. You have, in the, you have the northern and southern kingdoms, right? You had war within God's own people and, and disputes. And we see that in our lives today, right? Between God's own people at times, there's dispute. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And then you have more war and then exile. And this is getting us close to where we're at right now in Esther and a real quick shortcut to get there. But it's getting us close. You have the northern kingdom of Israel being taken captive into exile by the Assyrians. Then you have Babylon taking over the Assyrians. Then you have Babylon taking over Judah and going into exile. So you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You have Israel in exile. But then, getting us even closer, you have Cyrus the Great, Persia, king of Persia. He conquers Babylon. And then in roughly 538 B.C., the first group of exiles return to Jerusalem under Cyrus the Great, allowing them to go to Jerusalem, rebuild, restore the temple. Then the next kind of a, I'll just round a, about roughly 150 year period, 486, 465 BC, that's the moment of Esther. But in that 150 year gap, a lot happens. You have the return Ezra, rebuilding and restoring his second the three groups return and Ezra and Nehemiah rebuilding restoring the temple Nehemiah rebuilding the wall all of this happening in the same time this era same era as Esther what's clear well scripture points it out itself but keep in mind that Ezra Nehemiah these Jews they return to the land Esther, in this book, is not. It's in Susa. It's in one of the capitals, one of the four capitals of Persia. Southwest Iran, real close to the Persian Gulf. So you can get your head if you're not familiar with that. But that's where Esther's taking place. So that kind of catches you up in history, the past. When I mention Haman, you'll kind of know, this is long before, this isn't a battle that starts in Esther. And we know, in our lives, we're in a battle that starts way before. There's a physical enemy in this world. There's wars there's people that's been out to get rid of God's people for years. Get rid of the Jews, get rid of Israel, we don't want them around. We can relate to that, right? 
There's people in this world that we live in today. It's easy to relate and get on board with this because we're in very similar situations. We're in a world where people don't like a Christian necessarily in a lot of ways. They may like you talking to you. It may not be too rough, but they don't want us on, our, on a soapbox. They don't want us sharing the gospel. They don't want us doing... I was so happy this past week I read these two articles Bear with me, one of them I did not read research in detail, so you might find out come Super Bowl time tonight that there was more to this. So i got to be careful how I say this, but I was happy that I seen that there was a parent, this don't relate to the Super Bowl, that's the next story. There was a parent, she was actually suing the school because I believe it was her fourth grader was forced to go to a gay pride festival. And this parent made it very clear, I do not want my child to go there. And... She, the child ended up going there. Well, in my mind, a lot of times, I feel like we, we're not. Christians aren't kind of laying down. You know, you kind of get that, that feeling that people feel like that. You know, that Christians are silent, you know. Well, this lady says, no, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not silent. I'm suing you. <laughs> so, so she's taking a stand. For, she didn't want her child to do that. And then I read for the Super Bowl tonight, there's this, the owner, CEO of Hobby Lobby, is backing a big uh, campaign to back Jesus Loves You. And it's going to be through these big ads at the Super Bowl. The, both those things made me smile, if I'd be honest, because I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. You know, they, we, they, we can have so much stuff thrown down our throat. How about we make a way? How about we stand in the way of the enemy? We stand in the way of the world, and we do something. And it made me so happy to see that. It just, it just hit me right in the heart that we, we can stand, we can do something in this world that we live in. So you see this, see this all throughout history. And Pastor Chris, 1 through 3, um, quick to get us right where we're at in chapter 4, a lot's happened in these first three chapters. How I mentioned Cyrus, the exiles, all this happening. Well, King Darius, he had a, he's the son of Cyrus the Great. He had a moment where he kind of reconquered Babylon, reissued the, the command and the decree to go continue rebuilding, restoring the temple. Well, you've heard King Xerxes, King Ahasuerus. That's the grandson of Cyrus the Great. It's all fitting together. And the grandson, that's when he's reigning right now. He kind of continued in his father's steps, battles with Greece. And then in chapter 1, we remember the big, long, month, months-long party that he throws and uh, he's in Susa right now, one of the capitals. That's where we're at. He throws this party. His queen, Vashti, refuses to do what he says. A new queen is chosen, Queen Esther, who's a Jew. They don't know her identity yet as a, as, a, as, a Jew, as a Jew, but she's chosen queen. And then her older cousin, Mordecai, her family member, had a huge part in raising her. He has a position. He's in the fish with the gate, so he has a responsibility. Well, he overhears this rumor, this plot to lay hands and take out the king. He speaks up. He tells Esther. He gets word to Esther. He tells her, this is what's happening. You know, they're going to kill the king. She tells him. There's no immediate reward. I'm not going to too many spoilers for next week. But there's no immediate reward for Mordecai. There's no recognition. It's just recorded in the book of the Chronicles of what had done. But the king is not killed. He finds out about this plot. In the meantime, Haman kind of the right-hand man of the king, the way I look at him, is uh, promoted to prime minister. He's promoted. And you're to bow to him. You're, you're to honor him. And Mordecai won't do that. He will not bow to Haman. So Haman finds out, this is a Jew. This is a Jew that won't bow to me. 
So he bribes the king to issue this decree that all the Jews be wiped out. About 10 months from then, it's going to be wiped out. And we might get into that next week as well with the Feast of Purim and the, and, and how, and the lots and how all that goes together, Lord willing. We might get into that a little bit. But basically, it lands about 10 months, they're going to get wiped out. And uh, because Mordecai, a, a Christian, a, a, a man of God who has faith, stands in the way. He won't bow to the enemy. Anything that will help the enemy move forward, he won't do. He won't bow to it. So, the, the king says, yes, this is going to happen. Send it out. Send out the decree to all 127 provinces. Big, huge land. If I had a map, I'd say big layout of land that's under his command right now. And he says, all the Jews and all that are all over the place, do as you will with them. Destroy them. Get rid of them. That's where we're picking up. And hopefully this is so easy for you to stay focused and tune in the, to this morning because this is us. Okay, we have this world, we're set apart, we're different, we walk different, look different, love different. It's not easy. You turn on your TV, it's not stuff that we necessarily can even watch for more than 10 seconds because we're convicted. It's hard in the day that we live in. And we have to get in the way. We have to fight. And I'm I'm sure with my heart right now, you can tell, and my wife knows my heart for people and and, and the gospel and stuff like that. I hope it comes out uh, because I'm not... I'm not here to please people. I'm here to just please God. And I want to speak His truth to all my brothers and sisters and hope that it ignites us to take a, take a stand. We can all do something. And at the end, maybe I'll give some ideas of what we can do, but we can pack these pews. That's something we can all do. We can mentor people. Matter of fact, invite somebody to church next week as we go through the rest of Esther 6. Invite them. Have this place filled up. We can all do that. We can all share the gospel. Care to share there's all things we can do to get in the way of the enemy in this world, which he don't like. And the enemy, when I keep saying world, many of us know, hopefully all of us in here know, if not, I'm here to tell you, the enemy just isn't the world. I love, I love how we give, we're so quick to give glory to God as children of God. Should we? Absolutely, right? That's where all the glory goes to and belongs. But I feel like we forget that in this world that we're in, this, this enemy we have, it's deeper there's an enemy of God, and it's Satan. And we're so quick when something offends us or something bad happens to us in this world, and we have this enemy. We, we go after the person. It's like Satan gets off easy in my mind sometimes. We know there's God, and we give glory to God. But if, if Ed offends me, I, I, I'm quick to think comments about Ed. Well, he shouldn't have said that. Ed's wrong. You know, I'm mad at Ed now. He don't, you know, it... There's a bigger enemy to it all, and it's Satan. And, and, we, and we need to realize that it's a, it's a much deeper fight and war that we're in today. And we know that, but sometimes we need to remind it of that. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4. Like I said, we're going to read. We're going to go pretty quick. I'll do my best not to choke on my own tongue and keep speaking where you can understand me. But we're going to go fairly quick. And, and uh, I'm going to start with our first point this morning. If you want to fill it in, then we're going to read verses 1 through 13 and kind of draw from Mordecai, draw from the Jews, draw from Esther, um, stuff we can apply in our lives today and how God is using his people in history and how he can use us today. So point one, God's providence puts God's people in desperate yet precise situations. 
And as I, and I'll say it one more time, God's providence puts God's people in desperate yet precise situations. Now follow along as I read verses 1 through 13. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatak. One of the, I said that all week, by the way. I went with Hatak, Hathak, Hathak, and uh, what I came up with after much research was Hatak. See, I rolled my K right there. I practiced that all week, so I hope I did it well. Um, then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him, on behalf of her people. And Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days." And then they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. So in those first 13 verses of chapter 4, there's a lot there. and We'll try to summarize it. But first I want to draw from Mordecai. I see four things that Mordecai is doing here. First, Mordecai is in a desperate situation. Kind of like our first point said. He's in a desperate situation. But what's he doing in the desperate situation? He's mourning. He's, he's crying out. It's dead. He's speaking out. He's speaking out. He's calling out. He refuses to take an artificial answer. Uh, here, here, I know. Take this off and put this on. It'll be okay. You know, whatever situation's happening, it'll be okay. He's refusing to take that. He's, he's keeping on. He's staying the course. He's crying out. People need to know. My people need to know what's going on around, what's coming for us, and it's not good. And not only does he, is he desperate and he's speaking out, and, and, but he's also, and he's not taking these easy answers to, to be quiet, he's also calling out. He's calling out Esther, he's calling out one of his loved ones, and he says, you need to do something. You're, you're in this place, you're in this position to do something in this desperate situation, yet precise timing, God's timing, timing is everything, you need to do something. I love how Mordecai does that. And Esther, there's a lot to Esther on what's really, you know, is Esther, um, is she really embarrassed or, you know, that this could come on her? Does she just really not know and she hates seeing him like that? So she's like, here, you know, we can all, maybe it's a combination of things, but I'm looking at Mordecai here and how he's replying to all of this. 
and, and the meaning of sackcloth and ashes, which hopefully we can get into that a little bit. But there's a lot to that. And then you have all the Jews. They, they know. They hear. They, and what are they doing? They're in distress, anxiety. They're crying out. Kind of like we feel like in our world sometimes, right? The anxiety, the fear, the distress that we struggle with. Sometimes the outside, but also within ourselves. And what we want to do, we don't do. We have the, these battles that we have. And then you have Hatak. And by the way, a little nugget here I found was very interesting. Hatak, the name actually means truth. And what's Hatak doing here? The king's eunuch. He's taking the truth that Mordecai is giving about what's really going on. Not sugarcoating, not making it sound better. He's taking the real truth that Mordecai is saying, and he's giving it. And we all need a little hot talk in us, right? And speaking the truth about what's really going on, you know? And then you have Esther. A specific, precise, desperate situation, but a precise, perfect person that God has in a place and a position to do something about it in his timing. And what's Esther do? She's reluctant, right? She's like, yeah, I could, I could die if I do this. Esther says, it, I, my life, I can perish if I do this. You know, that's what will happen. That's what the law says is I could die and I could be put to death. A tough situation. Will she do it? We're going to find out, man, will Esther do what's right? Will she get in the way and see if she finds favor with the king? Brothers and sisters, we can get in the way. Because we found favor with the king. We found favor with the king. We can get in the way. We can do what needs done. It brings us to, uh, let's read 14 through 17, and I'll say the point first. It brings us to the point. God's providence positions us to respond to our God-given calling to make a difference for God's people. One more time. God's providence positions us to respond to our God-given calling to make a difference for God's people people. Let's read verses 14 through 17. For if you keep silent at this time, Mordecai says, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but for you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the... And here's the popular verse we all know from Esther. But for you... And who knows whether you have not come to the king's, king's kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them the reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything Esther had ordered. So, Mordecai again here, what's he doing? He's pushing He's encouraging Esther. Come on, Esther. You're in, a, you're in a position. Do it. He knows. He knows what needs done to make a difference for God's people. To respond in obedience and make a difference for God's people. He knows what needs done. What's he do? His part. He does what, uh, what she tells him to do. He gathers the people. He fasts. He does his part on what he's supposed to do. He has faith. His faith shines right here. That he, Deliverance will come. Do your part. But regardless, like the hymn, like we've talked about this morning, God will make a way. And He knows that. But do your part. And then Esther, she says, here's our answer. Will she do it? I will respond. She says, I will, I'll respond. I'll do what may make a difference. What I'm called, my God-given calling, what I'm here to do, I will do it. 
I'll get my palace out of the way. You know, a lot was happening outside, and Esther's in her palace, you know, and the truth is trying to get to her. What is going on? Sometimes our palace can get in the way, right? It can blind us a little bit. And when I say our palace, I mean our, our, I'll even say blessings. We can distort them at times and mishandle them and, and misuse them. You know, our nice houses and our nice vehicles and our great finances and our food that just basically gets delivered to us. Well, actually... Literally, not that it gets delivered to us. Found out the other day and get a coffee delivered to you now. Um, but it's amazing, you know. And maybe our palaces get in the way sometimes of what's really going on. And we need to get out of our palace and we need to do what's right. And Esther says here, I'll do it. In three days, you know, do this for three days. Remind you of anything? Esther says, I'll do what needs done in three days. Jesus Christ did what needed done in three days. In three days, God rose him from the grave and he conquered sin and death. And you want to talk about perishing? What's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We don't need to be considered with perishing. Esther here says, if I perish, I perish, right? Yeah. Jesus perished and conquered sin and death for you and me, that when we perish, we know what better things is yet to come. But since we know what's to come, we're not done. We know what's to come, so we, get, we should be quick to get in the way. We should be quick to do what needs done in this world that we live in. And now for Esther, could this be fearful? Could this be scary? Even for us, let's, let's speak the truth here. If you came up to me and said, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And if you say yes, I'm going to shoot you in your forehead. Would I go, Yes! I'm getting ready to get shot in the forehead. No, we're human beings, you know. There's a little, little fear there, right? A little, little courage needed, you know. It's not easy to do that. But I would do it. I would love to think that I would do that in a minute. But there's fear involved. And Esther says, I will do it. But do this first. Fearful times. When I think of fearful and scary situations, I think of this list that I came across this week. It fits it so good. And some of these, when I read these, think of Esther. Some of the things we're talking about in this book, and even this morning, the history, the now. This is 2020, I almost said two. This is actually 2023. Just came across this last week. Top 10 list of fears in the United States where we live. Corrupt government officials. Maybe some of that in the book of Esther. Loved ones becoming seriously ill. Russia using nuclear weapons. War. Maybe some of that in Esther. Loved ones dying. Kind of what we're talking about this morning some. The U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Pollution of drinking water. Pollution of drinking water. I'm sorry. Not having enough money for the future. Economic financial collapse. Pollution of of oceans, rivers, and lakes biological warfare. That's the top 10. I would love to think that us as children of God, as brothers and sisters united in Christ, that that number four loved ones dying, I would love to move that to number one and say loved and lost ones dying. What if that was our number one fear as a brother or sister in Christ, that our loved ones that are lost or people that are lost in this world dying? What's that? What if that was our number one fear? in the United States right now, and it's Christians. Timeliness. God will make a way. God's providence. 
it all ties in so well. When I think of timeliness, um, I was having a rough week this week. Real rough week, actually. A lot going on with my job. Um, you ever had that feeling where you got so much going on in your life and you're trying to, you're trying to juggle it all? And it gets a little overwhelming. I'm sure you can relate to me on that. You know, I want to prepare a sermon. I want to spend time with God. I got, a, I got a job to do. End of year finances, crunch mode, and uh, things need done. Goals for next year, all this. And I'm trying to prioritize and organize. I'm sure you can relate to that. You get a heavy load. Well, I received this timely text. Speaking of Esther, a queen, a woman used by God at a timely moment, specific moment, specific words, uh, my queen, my wife, Donna, not that I'm a king, but if I was a king, she'd be my queen. Um, she sends me this timely text, and the first one is, was Galatians 6.9. I was sitting at my desk, and it said, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will, we will reap if we do not give up. That was timely. It's timely for us, all of us. Not just timely for me, it's timely for all of us in, in here right now. And then I read this. I'm going to pretend that she came up with these words, but this was actually some poem or lyrics or something that she found. But you talk about timely words. Listen to this for a minute. Let this sink into your heart as I read this. Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? We are called to take his light to a world where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through his love, our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life only we can share. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of the broken dreams, He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize that we must give our lives? For people need the Lord. People need the Lord. One of the gentlemen at the very beginning, I told you I was talking with this week, he said a little statement that stuck with me, that rung with me. And he said, we live to give. We live to give at all costs. And I think of those top ten fears. I think of that poem. I think of the, the, the words of that poem. And my, my wife knows my love for all of you. She probably gets tired of hearing it at times, actually. But I've said it from the beginning that me preaching to this service has uh, meant a lot in my life. The relationships I've built. She knows my love for you. And she knows my love for sharing the gospel and wanting to reach people with uh, God's word. She knows that. So that was very timely for me. And when I read that last line of the, the poem that she sent me or song lyrics, whatever it ended up being, um, it just that live to give got to me, you know, that that's why we're here. We live to give at all costs. Esther may perish. If I perish, I perish. I will do what's right. Will we do what's right at any cost? We know it. We think it. We feel it. Do we do it? And I say we intentionally because I'm not preaching to you. I'm God's words right here for me too. It's us. It's us as a group, us as a family, us as brothers and sisters. We need to ignite. We need to unite and we need to ignite and get busy. We are here for such a time as this. 
Was that a good rally? Did you guys with me on that? Yeah, pep. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, but all seriousness, we are here for such a time as this. You look at this generation, you look at what's around us. Think of your, think of your loved ones. Think of grandkids, kids, us, people sitting beside you. It's here. It's, we are here for such a time as this. I always say we're breathing for a reason. Okay, moving on. Chapter 5. Here's where I'm going to read a lot. This is where it gets tough because we're getting close to done. This is going to be long. So this is where I want to challenge you to put yourself in Scripture here. Use this time more than ever to stay tuned in and stay focused. Our point three, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the last one too, which I highly hope that you can fill that last blank in by now where it says blank will make a way, the last one. But that is God. God will make a way. But the one before that, God's providence sets the stage for deliverance and requires patience and perseverance from God's people. Let's read chapter 5. Esther prepares a banquet. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters. While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace, and when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even, half, even to the half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is, If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai, once again, in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, Even Queen Esther, let no one put but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me, as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it. Then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. So, reading chapter 5 and that point that I just said, the stage is set. Esther acts. She responds. The stage is set. It took patience, right? Three days and two feasts. One of them we just seen. She knows the way to a man's heart is his belly. Uh, two times. We have two feasts. But um, there's more to this than food and the way the, a man's heart than a joke. This is real. There's going to be two banquets. And next week, we're going to find out what happens in between banquets. So make sure you come back for that. But the stage is set, and she's acting right here. She's doing what she needs to do. 
And she, she has this feast. It's prepared. But it took three days. Patience. Why? Fasting. They went to the Lord. Where's the patience come from? Where's the perseverance come from? Come from? Fasting. She didn't just say, no, I'm not doing it instantly. She didn't say, yes, I'll do it right now. I'm going to jump into it. She went, they went to God. They fasted. They realized human, they recognized human frailty and appealed to a glorious, gracious God. That's where they found strength. That's where they found direction. And they did it unitedly. They went and gathered. And Esther did it where she was at. They went to God. Three days. And two feasts. Not one. Because God makes a way. And in between feasts, we're going to see very clearly God continue to make his way. And Mordecai. What's he doing? Staying firm. Through it all, he won't budge. Times are tough. He knows what's coming now. He could, he could let up. He could say, I'll bow. I'll stand to you. This Times are too tough. Desperate situation, I just can't take it. He don't do that. He refuses. And you have this enemy. You have Haman who has everything else going great in his world, right? Promotions, kids, money, life's great. I get to go to the beast. He's gloating, he's prideful. But one thing drives him crazy. It's a man of God that stands in the way. The enemy wants to get rid of God's people. He wants to hang them on the gallows. And one man, one Christian being obedient and doing what he's supposed to do, drives Haman crazy, even though everything else is so good. I like how it says, Esther, put on our royal robes. Remind you of something? Jesus Christ, worthy of the royal robes. Esther, what's she doing in her royal robes? She's interceding for her people, right? Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God right now interceding for you and me. Talk about royal robes. Are we willing to intercede? Are we willing to get in the way for God's people? If you're here this morning as we get ready to close, I know next week, chapter 6 and 7, um, we're going to talk a lot about gallows and uh, rewards and records, and it's going to be exciting. It's going to be God's going to put a great message out for us this morning and convict our hearts, hopefully, and let us see Him more and know Him better. But as we close, I, I have to say that that last point that I said, go ahead and fill in, God will make a way. God makes a way. And we can see all throughout Esther, all throughout history. It's the Old Testament, the New Testament. The Old Covenants, the Abrahamic Covenant, Moses, Noah. The New Covenant through Jesus Christ. You see God making a way all throughout the Bible. And all throughout our lives. Your old self. Your new self. God made a way. And every day we die to self. We resubmit. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I I have to speak truth to you. There's a Haman in your life. There's a Haman in your life. And he's taking you to the gallows to hang you. That's what he wants. It may not be tomorrow morning like Mordecai may be facing. It may seem like everything's good. You may have everything, promotions, people, everything going good in your life. But that same Haman, Haman that has all that, he's taking you to hang you on the gallows. And the only difference between you and my brothers and sisters in here that know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the only difference is Jesus Christ. Because we're just going to do to a different, we went to a different wood structure. Haman wants to take you to these gallows to hang you. We went to Jesus Christ. We went to the foot of the cross. There's a wooden gallows and there's a wooden cross. 
You go to the wooden cross, go to the feet of Jesus. There's no noose in our life because of the nails. The nail-scarred hands of Jesus Christ. There's no noose, it's nails for us. That's what saved us. And if you're a Christian here, you're my brother or sister, I pray, I pray that God's Word this morning puts it on your heart so heavy that you can have joy. You can have joy, you can have peace. We, we have all this and find all. We know what is to come for us and it should just light us up and bring a smile. But it should also do another thing. It should call us to speak. Where's the Mordecai in you? Where's your speaking? Where's, there, where's your refusal to be shut down easy? Your refusal to look different and put something else on? Where's, where's your Hatak? Where's the truth? Where's your Esther getting out of your palace, out of your comfort zone for such a time as this? Now is our time. Let us close in prayer.